Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. You know, guys, we're, we're really progressing right along. We're in the Gospel of Luke. We're up to chapter 22. There's only 24 chapters, so we're really moving along. And we're really focused on, to be very honest with you, really three days. Three or four days. And, and so we're, if you want to take in terms of what's going on in the week, it's Thursday night. They're having the Passover meal. And... Jesus is in the upper room. We know that he's going to be betrayed. He's going to mention it again in the passage that we're going to look at. There, there is a, a discussion that happens among the disciples. We're going to see it where they, they launch into, which is typical because they don't understand what's going on. You and I understand because we know the story. They don't understand because they've yet to live it. And so in their mind, Jesus is coming to overthrow the Romans, to set up a kingdom. They're his right-hand man. It's going to be gravy train from here on out. It's going to be okay for them. So they launch into this argument about who the greatest is going to be in the kingdom. That's typical, isn't it? Because that's how our society works. That's how our culture works. It's all about pursuing your dreams, isn't it? Isn't that what you're told? Isn't that the American dream? Pursue your dreams. Strive. Strive for, for the promotion at work. Strive for stuff that you can pack away in your attic and in your garage, never to see again. Isn't that true? It's all about striving. Ultimately, it's all about what? Striving for greatness that is marks our lives. And so Jesus is going to address that. He's going to talk today to us about what true greatness is. Because that's where their focus is. We're going to see it in two ways here. We're going to see it, first of all, in the issue of the betrayal. Because you have to understand something. This is ultimately why Judas is betraying him. He followed Jesus for three years. And he's, he's probably the only one who's listening to what Jesus is saying. So he's bailing. And he's getting what he can get. But the problem is Jesus knows about it. We're going to see that here. And then we're going to see Jesus telling us what true greatness is. So let's look at this passage together. We're in Luke chapter 22. We're going to look at verses 21 through 30. Look at what the writer Luke records concerning the words of Jesus. Verse 21. Again, remember, they're, they're surrounded at the table. They've just had the Passover meal. Here's what Jesus says. But behold... The hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. Now there, all, there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he, speaking of Jesus here, said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is the greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. 
For he who is greater, he who sits at the table, and or he who serves. Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I'm among you as one who serves. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials. I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to basically divide this passage into two sections. We're going to see, first of all, selfishness exposed, and then we're going to see the meaning of greatness. Selfishness exposed and the meaning of greatness. Let me make this point. You may want to write this down. You need to grasp this reality. Some of you are going to disagree with me as soon as I make this statement. That's fine, but we want to be biblical. So let me make the statement, and then I'll explain it to you. Here's the statement. All of our motives are not pure. Let me say that again. Write that down. All of our motives are not pure. Immediately, somebody here, you're nice, but immediately inside of you, you're going, wait a minute now, I don't agree with that, George, because my motives are pure in this area. I'm only doing it for them. I'm only doing it for Jesus. I'm only doing it for someone else, not for myself. How can you say that? Well, let me just point out a couple things to you. First of all, have you ever noticed that our salvation isn't based upon what we do? You want to know why? Because what we do is always based upon an impure motive. Bottom line. Our salvation is based upon purely what Jesus did. His grace alone. Bottom line. Your motives are not pure. How do I know that? Jeremiah says that our hearts are wicked, and who can what? Understand them. Do you understand? You might sit there and think that you are right in your motives, and you are right in your heart, but you have to understand you might be deceiving yourself. You might, in all of your motives, be tainted by selfishness. Even though you're doing what you're doing, and you may be doing it for Jesus, but some of it might be for you. See, here's the thing you've got to understand. All that we do is accepted by God because of His grace, not because of who we are. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you've got to grasp that point. As we enter into the whole issue of greatness, and why we do what we do, especially when we talk about doing church, especially when we talk about serving Jesus, You've got to recognize right off the bat that all of your motives are not pure. All of your motives are not pure. If we understand that, we're going to get very far in this lesson. You've got to grasp that point. So let's talk about selfishness exposed. First thing that happens is right after the meal, he's instituted the Lord's Supper. He begins in verse 21 and says that the hand of his betrayer is at the table. So I want you to see. But look at what he says, verse 22. Truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. First thing I want you to see here. Jesus understands the divine purpose. He understands the divine purpose. You know, Jesus knows everything. Jesus is the one who picked Judas. Can you think about this? Only God could do this. Only God could do this. Pick the guy that he knows three years later is going to betray him. 
Only God could sit at the table and know that the guy sitting right next to you, near you, that you're about to honor at the table, is going to sell you out to, to a group of people who are going to put you on a cross to kill you. Do you understand what I'm saying? And he, look at how he responds through the whole meal. He, I mean, because he, here's what Jesus could do. He could immediately say to the guys there at the table, Hey, it's Judas. He's going to betray me. What do you think would have happened to Judas? You know what I'm saying? He wouldn't have gotten out of there alive. How do you know that? Remember Peter in the garden slicing off some dude's ear? Do you know what I'm saying? What's going on here? Jesus understands the divine purpose of what's about to happen to him through this whole process. He understands the divine purpose. But what's he doing here? He's exposing by his statement that not everybody has a pure motive for following him. And that some, even some there, one, would betray him for his own motives. Do you understand that? He's exposing the hidden things of the heart. The hidden things of the heart. In fact, that's the next point. The motives of the heart are often hidden. The motives of the heart are often hidden. Because notice this. When Jesus says this statement, normally, you know, when somebody says, well, I know that one of you is a schmuck, usually you could sit around here and you could say, oh, yeah, well, I know he's talking about Bill. <laughs> yep, it's Bill. Haven't you seen the way Bill's been acting? If your name's Bill here, I'm not picking on you, okay? I don't think I got a bill in here, okay? Uh, do you understand what I'm saying? The reality is, is usually we can pick out someone and say, oh yeah, that's who he's talking about. You notice something the scripture text tells us. They started asking among themselves, is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Nobody had any clue who it was. In fact, Judas was the treasurer. Now, do you pick any sly old dude to be your treasurer? No, you pick the guy that you think you can trust to handle the money bag. What's going on here? We know that he's in it for himself. That his motives are wrong. His motives are purely selfish. But as far as anybody else, they think he's doing okay. He's just one of the guys. He's serving the Lord. He's on the right track. He's one of the trusted ones because he's got the money purse. Do you understand what I'm saying? Here's the thing you've got to understand. Even in church, because this is what I want you to understand, because in church we often operate by how things appear. Do you understand what I'm saying? How things appear. And as long as you're busy for Jesus, haven't you been in something like this before? Our church used to be like this. As long as you're busy for Jesus and you've got a smile, you're doing okay. But the problem is, is that your motives may be wrong for why you're doing it. You're doing it because your mama told you to, and you don't really want to do it, and how you know that, as soon as you get in the car, you're griping about who you, what you had to do at church. But at church, you're like, ha, ah, I'm serving Jesus. But in the car, you're like, ah, your motives are wrong. Nobody else could see it. Because at church, we put on our good faces, don't we? But the motives of the heart are often hidden. That's what he's pointing out here. Selfishness exposed. Jesus sees right through our motives. He knows it. He explains it to them. They don't see it. 
So guess what? So as they're arguing, it's funny, isn't it? They start off asking the question, is it you? Are you the one who's going to betray? Is it you? And it, it launches into, notice what the text says, it goes from that where they're questioning each other as far as their loyalty into a discussion about who the greatest is. And you can almost see the natural, oh, it isn't me, because I would do this for Jesus. I'm, 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 I'm his most favorite follower. You know, and you could see immediately they're launching into the greatest. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? And what we're going to see is, is Jesus takes the opportunity to tell us what true greatness is. So let's notice here. First of all, there's a natural desire to be great. Natural desire to be great. So I want you to understand, if you're here today and, and you're not, and you're not you're, I don't want you thinking that George is totally against you trying to achieve something. I'm not. I don't want you thinking that George is totally telling you that God doesn't want you to be anything in life. I'm not. Because that desire is a natural desire that comes within you. The desire to want to achieve at work, that's a natural desire. The desire to want to achieve better for your family, that's a natural desire. Do you understand what I'm saying? All of those are natural desires. It's how you funnel the desire. That's the issue. It's how you direct the desire. That's the issue. Because it's a natural desire. So here they are. They're arguing among themselves about who the greatest is. I'm the greatest. You're the Not you. I'm even better than you. That's a natural thing, isn't it? Sounds like a political campaign, isn't it? Let's go on here. What is he saying? Jesus immediately takes the opportunity and talks to them about what greatness is. First of all, he tells them what the culture says. Look at verse 26. Excuse me, verse 25. The kings of the Gentiles. Now, who's the Gentiles? That's you and I, folks. The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. So what is that? We have in, in our culture we have leaders, and those leaders become benefactors to everybody else who follows. That is, they they benef- they give something to everybody else who follows so that they can be the leaders. Because when they're at the leaders, they're the top. They're on the top of the totem pole. Everybody knows it. Everybody serves them. That's what Jesus says. Here's the point I want you to see. Culture functions with an authoritative leader. Culture functions with an authoritative leader. That's the way it is in our culture. You ever notice that? Our culture functions with a concept of what? An authoritative leader. Here's what happens, though. We transfer that over into church. Have you noticed that? Have you ever been in a church where they've had a dictatorial pastor? Do you ever notice that? Where he's dictating everything, dictating what you need to do, what you couldn't do? See, we transfer that Gentile concept of having an authoritative leader. We have it in our culture, and we transfer it over to the church. But the model for our church is something completely different, Jesus is going to tell us. It's not an authoritative leader. See, that's what we're used to. And that's what we're striving for, isn't it? You think about it at work. Do you like being a low man at total pole at work? No, you want to be upper so that you can tell people what to do. That's our culture. That's our culture. He goes on, and what does he talk about here? Look at what he says. Look at verse 26. Here's what Jesus is calling to you. But notice what he says. But not so among you. Underline that phrase in your Bible, if you don't mind underlining in your Bible. But not so among you. 
Don't let it be the way it is in the culture with you, is what Jesus is saying here. Don't let it be the way it is in the culture with you. Not so among you, is what he's saying here. Look at what he says. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he who governs, as he who serves. What's he talking about here? First of all, let he who is the greatest be as the younger. Now, what does that mean? If you were older, you were sought. There, it was a better level of leadership versus the younger. Now, Jesus is saying, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you need to act like a young one. That's low on the totem pole. Let me tell you what it was like in their culture. Children were not cherished. They were tolerated. Children were not cherished. They were tolerated. Because the concept was is that what was significant in the culture of that day was the adult, not the child. So Jesus is saying, you want to be great, you've got to act like a child. You want to be great? He goes one step further. You've got to be like what? A servant. What's he talking about here? Jesus calls us to servant leadership. Here's what he's saying. You're not going to change the culture. The culture is going to be the way it is. The culture is going to focus on its authoritative, strive for greatness the way it is. That's the way the culture is, period. But what he's calling us to as believers and what he's calling the church to is, is that if you want to be a leader, be a servant. If you're a leader and you want greatness, serve others. Be as someone insignificant. That's what a young one is, insignificant. Be as someone who serves. That's the issue. It isn't the issue of prominence. You know, and for years, I'll be honest with you, because I've been, I've been saved now 28 years. Boy, it's a long time. I'm getting older. And, and, and here's the reality. I've been in church, and, and especially, you know, in some of my years it was as a Baptist church, and, and, and the prominence issue was really big in some of those churches And I don't remember service ever being a part of it. It was all about position. It was never about service. But that's the exact opposite of what Jesus is talking about here, isn't it? He says, if you want to be great in the kingdom, be insignificant and serve. That's his point here. That's servant leadership. And here's what he does to back it up. Look at verse 27. For who is greater, he who sits at the table who serves? Is not he who sits, is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as one who serves. What's he saying? He points us to his own example. Okay, let me just stop for a moment. What's he saying here? Okay. When it comes to the kingdom of God, who's the greatest, folks? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? Jesus. Okay, everybody, you didn't have your coffee this morning, okay? On a count of three, we need to say it out loud. Voice it, okay? One, two, three. Jesus. Boy, that's lame. Let's say it out loud. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? One, two, three. Jesus. Okay. Jesus is the greatest. Now, why is he the greatest? He served. What did he ultimately serve? Us by dying on the cross, right? I mean, think about that. He left the glories of heaven, Paul would tell us in Philippians, 
and humble himself by coming like us and going to the cross to die for us. That's service, isn't it? Dying for people who don't even want him to die for them. Who didn't even care. And he points us to his example. You see, listen, so what he's calling us to, he's calling us to greatness by being insignificant and serving others. And he says, look, folks, that's servant leadership. And if you want to see it lived out, look at me. Look at me. I'm going to the cross to die for you. That's the, that's the picture of what he wants us to do. Now, he goes one step further, verse 28, just so, you get, just so you grasp and understand the point. Because here's the thing. The reason why we do strive for greatness, the reason why we have that natural desire for something better, is because we want the reward of it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I mean, let, let's be honest. The reason why you got that job is for the paycheck. I mean, let, let's be flat out honest, okay? It's not because you like working 40 hours plus a week. Did you know what I'm saying? You'd rather be fishing or hunting or working in your garden. Did you know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, unless you're truly warped, okay? And there are some who are. They're workaholics, okay? You like the reward of it. I mean, that's why we do what we do is the reward of it, right? And, and the reason why we, we strive for greatness, even in church, is the reward of it. Well, see, Jesus understands that. He's calling us to servant leadership. And so he wants to affirm the guys who's listening to him, affirm us, to help us to understand there's going to be a reward. So what does he do? First thing he does here, look with me, verse 29, verse 28. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials. What's he saying here? He commends their endurance now. He says, you're the guys who've been with me for three and a half years through the struggles. You've been with me when they wanted to stone me. You've been with me when they've accused me of being a wine-bibber, of being a sinner. You've been with me through the storms, sleepless nights. You've been with me. Understand why you're doing it, because you're looking for greatness. Here's the thing. He, he, he commends them for their endurance now. You know, here's the thing. As we're striving for servant leadership to be great in the kingdom of God, God wants you to understand, you and I to understand, he commends us for our endurance. You just hang in there. You hang in there. But what are we striving for? That's the next point. Look with me at verse 29-30. And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. What's he saying there? He points to the honor given in the kingdom. That's what we need to be striving for. That's what we need to be striving for. He points to the honor that is given in the kingdom that is satisfying because if we look for it now, there's no satisfaction there. You ever notice that? How many of you know, I mean, I'm old enough now where I can understand this. Maybe if you're younger, you haven't gotten to this point yet. But I'm, I'm old enough now where I've, I've realized things that once you achieve what you're striving for, it doesn't satisfy. You know what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know, do you know what I mean? You, you strive, you work hard, you try to be great to get the promotion at work, and you get it. 
You're not satisfied. And what do we do? We create other things that we strive for in our mind, right? There's another level. And it's a mindless pursuit for nothing. What are you striving for? See, Jesus is saying, he says, look, I know what you're going through. I understand the endurance. You've been with me for this long. But there's going to come a time when you're going to sit with me in the kingdom. You're going to have your own kingdom. Honor will be given to you in the kingdom. That's what true greatness is. That's what we need to be striving for. Not for it now. Because you ever noticed, even when you do stuff at church and somebody gives you an attaboy? <laughs> you did a great job. Slap you on the back. Depending on how hard you hit or hit will determine how long that feeling lasts, right? Right? And it doesn't satisfy. What are we striving for? What is the greatness that we're doing it for? That's what Jesus is addressing. You say, okay, George, how do we wrap this up? Well, two thoughts. Number one, what are the motives of your heart? What are the motives of your heart? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you doing what you're doing for Jesus? Why are you? Why are you serving the Lord? Is it for yourself? Or is it for others? Why are you doing what you're doing? What is the motives of your heart? Here's the second one. Are you pursuing greatness here or in the kingdom? What are you living for? Is it for some sort of fulfillment that will never come? Because it won't. Think about it. I mean, you think about it. Just take two years of your life. Think about the stuff that you strive for in two years of your life. Where is it now? I think about my first car. It's almost 30 years ago. I think about that it's probably sitting in some rust heap somewhere in some wrecker yard or been melted down since then. But boy, I poured a lot of money into it. Put some Jensen speakers in it. I had a cassette player. You know what I'm saying? It was cassettes back then, young people, not MP3s, okay? Some of you, it was the 8-track plaque tray with a, with a pack of, of uh, matches to make sure it didn't just got it right, okay? What are you pursuing greatness here or in the kingdom? So here's your action point. Recognize that greatness is found in serving others. That's where it is. Recognize that it's found in serving others. It's about serving others. In fact, here's what I want you to do. Let's let's expand this because okay, because okay, recognize. Oh yeah, okay, I recognize the serving others, but let's let's put some feet to the recognition. I want you. This week, if you want to write this down, identify one, two, maybe three people that you could serve for no other reason than simply just serving them. What do you mean? Because you could serve people for something back. Do you realize that? Did you understand what I'm saying? But I, what I'm asking you to do is to find one, two, or three people this week that you can just serve for no other reason than just serving them. That's what it means. If we're serious about greatness, greatness is found in serving others. That's what Jesus is talking about.
Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.